DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. Dr. Lewis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. Dr. Lillis is also the author of Hidden Mountain Secret Garden, a Theological Contemplation of Prayer. In this series of conversations with Dr. Lillis, we reflect on the writings of Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. Her retreat, entitled The Last Retreat, is the source of our current reflection. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Anthony, thank you so much for joining me. It's wonderful to be with you, especially as we work our way through the last retreat. We're on day 10. Be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. When my Master makes me understand these words in the depths of my soul, it seems to me that He is asking me to live like the Father in the eternal present, with no before, no after, but wholly in the unity of my being in this eternal now. What is this present? This is what David tells me. They will adore him always because of himself. This is the eternal present in which Laudum Gloriae must be established. But for her to be truly in this attitude of adoration so that she can sing, I will awake the dawn, She must also be able to say with St. Paul, For love of him I have forfeited everything. That is, because of him, that I may adore him always, I am alone, set apart, stripped of all things, both with regard to the natural as well as the supernatural gifts of God. For a soul that is not thus destroyed and freed from self will of necessity be trivial and natural at certain moments, and that is not worthy of a daughter of God, a spouse of Christ, a temple of the Holy Spirit. To guard against this natural life, the soul must be wholly vigilant in her faith, with her gaze turned toward the Master. Then she can walk, as the royal prophet sings, in the integrity of her heart within her house. Then she will adore her God always because of himself, and will live, like him, in that eternal present where he lives. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. God, says St. Dionysius, is the great solitary. My master asked me to imitate this perfection, 
to pay him homage by being a great solitary. The divine being lives in an eternal, immense solitude. He never leaves it, though concerning himself with the needs of his creatures, for he never leaves himself. And this solitude is nothing else than his divinity. So that nothing may draw me out of this beautiful silence within, I must always maintain the same dispositions, the same solitude, the same withdrawal, the same stripping of self. If my desires, my fears, my joys, or my sorrows, if all of the movements proceeding from these four passions are not perfectly directed to God, I will not be solitary. There will be noise within me. There must be peace, sleep of the powers, the unity of being. Listen, my daughter, lend your ear, forget your people and your father's house, and the king will become enamored of your beauty. It seems to me that this call is an invitation to silence. Listen. Lend your ear. But to listen, we must forget our father's house, that is, everything that pertains to the natural life. This life to which the apostle refers to when he says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. To forget your people is more difficult, I think, for this people is everything which is, so to speak, part of us. Our feelings, our memories, our impressions, etc. Our self, in a word. We must forget it, abandon it, and when the soul has made this break, when it is free from all that, the king is enamored of its beauty. For beauty is unity. At least it is the unity of God. Wow, powerful. There's so much here in this 10th day, isn't there, Anthony? Yes, I, I think... One of the things that Blessed Elizabeth does for us is uh, she opens up devotion to the divine persons of the Trinity. And this 10th day in particular, she opens us up to a devotion to God the Father. The way she does this is remarkable. She takes the word of Jesus. Now, who is Jesus? Jesus is, is the one who beholds the Father. You know, when he goes into prayer... He, he beholds the Father. He knows the loving goodness of the Father. He knows the loving goodness of, of the Father, his merciful love for humanity. And at the same time, Jesus is the one who's going to bear all our sins. And so he sees the merciful love of the Father. He sees our sinfulness. And so he addresses us and he tells us, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And this is a call out of our 
natural mode of life, a mode of life subject to sin, it's a call to live no longer our own life, but to live the life of Christ within us. And she's used this theme at various points in this retreat, but now, rather than directly refer to that new kind of subjectivity, the subjectivity of Christ in us, what she's going to do now is she's going to talk about an imitation of God the Father. One of the ways you exercise your devotion, one of the ways you let someone know that you love them is that you want to be like them. And that's, I think that's what this passage is really all about, and we'll break it down, but she has allowed Jesus to show her the goodness and the wisdom and the truth of the Father. She has allowed Jesus to show her his Father's merciful love, and she's listened to these words of Jesus, Jesus who speaks his word to her in a transforming way, so that this isn't just an intellectual word, intellectual, but it's a word for the heart, a word that changes the very depths of the heart if you listen to it. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And Jesus doesn't say, be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. But he, the one who's gazed on the Father, who knows the Father and knows our sinfulness, he tells us that this is your Father. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. In other words, what Jesus sees is the possibility, the potential for the human heart to reflect the perfection of the Father. And he stands at kind of the middle. He's the one who addresses us, addresses us in this way. And if we look to him, he makes this possible in our heart. Because when we look at him, we see the Father. So what does Blessed Elizabeth see? As she listens to these words of Jesus, as she beholds Jesus through these words, what does she see about the Father? And the answer is, she sees the solitude of the Father. And here, I, I want to make an observation that I think is uh, vital for today. God the Father, what's so powerful about who he is, of the divine persons, he doesn't proceed from anyone. This is the idea of solitude. He doesn't proceed from anyone. The Son comes from him and goes to him. The Spirit comes from him in the Son and goes to him in the Son. He's, he's the bond of their love. But the Father himself, he's not breathed forth. He is not begotten. He is uncreated solitude in that sense. Now, some people looking at this idea of solitude, the immediate knee-jerk reaction they have is emptiness and nothingness. Or something that is loveless. But the solitude of the Father is not loveless. It's out of the love in this solitude, the love in this depth, that the Son is generated, is begotten. And it's out of this solitude that the Holy Spirit is spirated and comes forth. And this is everything that Elizabeth is kind of holding together with this image of the solitude of the Father. When she says that we need to be like the Father, be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, and to be able to enter into this, I need to be wholly present like he is present. And to be wholly present means this entering into this silent solitude. It's not a silent solitude that is loveless and cold 
withdrawn without any concern for the world. In fact, the Father is not withdrawn in that way. It's just that what's going out on out in the world, he stands on one hand above it and in the midst of it. In other words, the Father remains in the midst of everything that is. All the beautiful and good and true things that resound through the universe, all the free spiritual centers that he's created for all the free wills that can sometimes screw things up so royally. He stands there and he loves the freedom because the freedom is a reflection of his own solitude. But he yearns, it pains his heart that the freedom isn't used for what it should be used for, that the freedom isn't perfect, that it's, in fact, the whole world is filled with all kinds of imperfect, degrading exercises of freedom that, that destroys what he wants. He yearns to see everything thrive, but he won't force it to thrive. Instead, he stands in the midst of it, waiting, believing, loving so much that he will send his only begotten son and he will breathe forth the Holy Spirit into the world. He will not overpower. He will not surmount. He will not destroy. He attracts. He waits. He believes. Because he knows that love is the deepest power of the universe. The deepest meaning of everything that he has made is love. He's made the world to know love. He's made each and every single person to know love. And so he waits. And in this, there's a great spiritual truth. And the great spiritual truth is that good isn't involved in a kind of an equal struggle with evil so that good and evil fight all the time. That's, it's not that kind of struggle. The victory of good over evil has already been established in the universe. It's been won once and for all. And God accomplished this victory not by trying to overpower evil. He accomplished the victory of good over evil by suffering evil until there was no more evil to be suffered. And this is what Jesus did on the cross. He exhausted evil in his own flesh and body, in his blood and in his divinity, in his soul. He suffered all the evil of humanity into himself to the point even of death, his last wordless cry, this reveals to us about the Father. The Father suffers evil like this through his Son. But that evil is not the last word. Love remains. It is invincible love that raises the Son up from the dead. And it's invincible love today that stands in the face of all the evil that's going on in our life. The victory of good over evil is not realized by crushing and destroying the victory of good over evil is that in the midst of evil, good remains. I'm thinking right now in particular about our brothers and sisters in Syria and Egypt, throughout the Holy Land, in Iran, Iraq, Afghanistan, in different countries in Sudan, where they are being horribly persecuted and put to death and tortured for their faith. The Christians in those places are powerless. They have no armies, no world powers coming to their aid or defending them. They are alone, as alone as a man dangling from a cross. And yet with them is the victory of good over evil, because they have entered into the solitude of the Father.
a solitude of pure love. And they stand and they are present. And just by being present in the face of the evil, the evil that is before them, they reveal the victory of good over evil to the world anew. And it's from that victory that we can say the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Because of their witness, the power of Christ in the world will be extended in ways we cannot possibly imagine. But they have the witness they do because they've entered into the solitude of the Father. A solitude that doesn't get carried away in contention or hatred or vitriol. A solitude that stands firm in love and believes in God's mercy, come what come may. Uh, these are the heroes of our day. In fact, more people have been martyred in my lifetime than have been martyred in the entire history of the church up until now. They are our heroes because they are an image of the Son, and in being an image of the Son and His sacrifice, they reveal to the world the Father, the love of the Father that remains and cannot be destroyed. And what I'm talking about in terms of those who are being persecuted for the faith we can apply then to the life of a contemplative. Contemplative prayer has always been seen as the same essential movement as martyrdom. And Elizabeth here is showing us that essential movement is a movement into the solitude of the Father. And again, not an indifferent solitude, but a solitude of love, a solitude that withdraws from everything and anything that is not love, a solitude of love that stands firm and will not be shaken even in the face of evil. That's her basic message to us. We could probably break this down a little bit further because some beautiful moments in this. The thing that just caught me in this 10th day that was that call to live in the eternal present with no before, no after, and in an eternal now. I think if we understand, for me anyway, by understanding that, attempting to enter into that, that helps to make the rest of it all make sense. As you were describing that moment on the cross and how that action, he took on all suffering in that moment to to open that door so that the eternal now becomes something that we can partake in. That's a difficult thing for a lot of us, even in our prayer, to appreciate. Well, I can understand how that might be a, a difficult thing to appreciate. Again, the eternal now, she's talking about God the Father and his solitude, and she's making a connection between contemplative prayer and that mode of being which is the Father. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. When my Master makes me understand these words in the depths of my soul, it seems to me that He is asking me to live like the Father in the eternal present, with no before, no after, but wholly in the unity of my being in this eternal now. What is this present? This is what David tells me. They will adore him always because of himself. 
This is the eternal present in which Laudum Gloriae must be established. But for her to be truly in this attitude of adoration, so that she can sing, I will awake the dawn, she must also be able to say with St. Paul, For love of him I have forfeited everything. That is, because of him, that I may adore him always, I am alone, set apart, stripped of all things, both with regard to the natural as well as the supernatural gifts of God. You know, uh, the Father who's not begotten, not spirated, the Father who is, and because He is, the Son is generated and the Spirit is breathed forth. But He is. And what she's saying is for us to be fruitful, for us to be able to participate in the life of the Trinity, in the, that fruitfulness of, of the Son, in the power of the Holy Spirit, we also need to know this solitude of love. What I tried to describe it as was a withdrawal from everything that is not God or a withdrawal from everything that is not love. When you do that, you become set apart. Set apart, this is another way of saying holy. What characterizes Christian holiness is charity, friendship, love of God. This love of God that God has for himself is what makes us holy. It sets us apart. But to be holy like that, to be able to receive that love of God, our hearts need to be free of everything else. And so it involves a kind of purification, a stripping, a, a vulnerability, a poverty on our part. This would be experienced as a certain kind of helplessness. You, before the mystery of evil, you, you see it all going on around you. And what makes you so alone is that you know you can't go with it. Uh, it would be so easy to go with it because this is where everybody else is going. This seems like the thing to do. But if you go there, you know that you're going to betray love. And love wins by not betraying itself, but by remaining. And so that's what this eternal present is. And Elizabeth is giving us other moments of it. She associates remaining in this eternal present being faithful to love and withdrawn from everything else, being present to love, she relates it to laudum gloria, being the praise of God's glory. In other words, in order to praise God, in order to, uh, to praise means to reveal the goodness of, in order to reveal the goodness of God, the goodness of his glory, we need to be established in this kind of faithfulness, which is the Father. The Father's love never changes. Our love must never change. Only then is our praise of God's glory established, immovable. When we try to praise God out of any other motive or for any other reason, we are susceptible, we are vulnerable to being pushed this way and that way. We're not able to be as uh, fruitful or free as love demands. But when we are established in this eternal present, in this love that is here, right here, right now. It's holding this present moment in existence, this love that is enabling me to breathe, 
the heartbeat that you just felt, love makes all of that possible, sustains it all. And contemplative prayer is about being present, vulnerable to that love, which requires being withdrawn for everything from everything else. When you're present and vulnerable to this love that is supporting us right now so that we can share these things, you're established in it and necessarily withdrawn from everything else. Anthony, it just makes me realize that, and this is going to sound strange, but it even extends to a detachment from time. It's almost like you have to detach yourself from Kronos time. And I know that may seem like an odd thing to have to do that linear, like I have to get up tomorrow, I have to do that. It it begins to make sense when he says, why are you worried about tomorrow? Because there's nothing you can do about it. Just live in this way. You have to detach yourself from time. And when you do that, you suspend that, then every moment becomes that present moment. Well, that's a very beautiful application because... You're right. We do spend a lot of a lot of moments in our lives clinging to the time we have, uh, selfishly looking forward to time for ourselves, and trying to order and control our time so that we can do what we want. So you're right. Stripping ourselves means stripping, also letting go of this particular gift, the gift of time, and surrendering that gift, ordering that gift to the praise of God, so that even the gift of time that we've been given is established in this eternal present. It's like when you give that up, then the sacrifice that Christ made for us, it doesn't become an event that was in the past, because that time, we've let go of that. It can become the now. I mean, even when you're driving in your car, you may be picking up your kids, you do all these things. So the praise is now. Even as I love my kids, as I drive the car, as I look at the person I'm driving, my actions then, everything I do, needs to give glory because I'm in the moment of giving glory to him in the eternal now. And so what you're describing is a huge shift, isn't it? Yeah, it's a whole paradigm of thinking. Because isn't the way we normally live our lives, we're letting the circumstances of the present moment drive us. Instead of being rooted in the eternal moment of God's love and letting that drive us through the moments of our life so that we're filling each moment we have with all the love we can, we live it the other way around. We let the circumstances of the present moment determine how much love we're going to, be, we're going to show or not show because we got to get this thing done so that we can move on to the next thing. We never really live fully present to each moment we have because we're not allowing the eternal presence of God to establish our, our existence or we're not establishing our existence in that eternal presence. It's a matter of faith. You know, do you really believe that God is present right now holding everything together? Do you really believe that He, in His providence, everything has been taken care of for you? When you do everything with as much love as you can, his glory and His will is going to be done. Do you believe that? Well, the more you believe that, the more established in His presence you are. But we betray that in a thousand ways at each moment of the day because there's something in us that says, yes, I know that's true, but i got to uh, race in front of this car to get to the stoplight before them. Or, 
I know this is true, but if I don't nag my children about this, they'll forget to bring their jacket. You know, that kind of thing is the constant temptation. Of course, there's prudence with this. There are things that need to be said, and you do need to kind of get your way through traffic in the morning. And so it's it's not uh, living in, in la-la land, but it's what are you letting define the movements of your heart? Are you letting the contingent traffic around you upset you, disturb you? Are you letting what your children are forgetting or not forgetting when they bring to school, are you letting that dictate what goes on in your heart? Or are you surrendering all those things to God in this eternal moment? You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis. To hear and or to download this episode, along with many others, go to discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of discerninghearts.com. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Join me next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lewis.